Welcome back, everybody, to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar Season 2. My name is Amanda Millwood, and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Legend of Korra. And my name's Todd Micah. I'm the author of the Grimguard book series, and I had never watched Legend of Korra until now. If you've been following along with us, then you know that every podcast we cover two episodes of Legend of Korra, and today we are in the thick of Season 3. We are at Episode 7 original airbenders the episode was written by tim hedrick it's directed by mel zwire animated by studio mir still always so good to see their name it's like it's the norm now but it never fails to make me happy (laughs) i know right you're scarred you got ptsd from season two (laughs) i know i just like at night when i feel scared or worried about the future i just remind (laughs) myself oh Studio Mir is doing the animation at Korra now, and that makes everything okay. (laughs) (laughs) The episode aired July 18th, 2014, and the IMDb rating of Original Airbenders is a very respectable 8.1 out of 10. Take us away with those fun facts, Amanda. Alrighty. So for our first fun fact, Tenzin's obstacle course was based on the obstacles used in the American game show Wipeout. Do you remember that show? (laughs) I feel like it all kind of runs together of like obstacle course shows like American Gladiator. No, it was American Gladiator or American Ninja. I'm thinking of what was the name of that show? And American Ninja Warrior, I think, was uh, the name of that show. There you go. like there's that and i feel like there were a couple like that i don't recall wipeout but maybe it just doesn't stand out to me oh man wipeout was the goat was it (laughs) like yes my family and i would like sit and watch like episode after episode because they aired a ton of them back to back um and they're just so entertaining like you just get these absolute nobodies and you just thrust them onto this obstacle course. And like, sometimes you'll be surprised because some people are like super athletic and like they managed to outsmart the obstacle course. And then you just see everybody else get absolutely pummeled. Like it's hilarious. <laughs> I <laughs> like remember, these poor people didn't stand a chance. <laughs> I remember seeing all those like Japanese obstacle course shows where you see these people running and some poor fool just gets absolutely slapped, just destroyed. <laughs> yeah. Yep, it was like that most of the time, but like I said, there would be like one or two people every episode that like would manage to best the course, but it was so funny watching people fail miserably. <laughs> you'll, have to, um, you'll have to send me like a compilation with the best of. Catch me up on this <laughs> pop culture phenomenon. Yeah. Apparently I missed out. I don't know what I was doing in 2014. <laughs> I don't know either. Um, our second fun fact is Milo's mantra of leave no airbender behind reflects a line in the soldier's creed, which is most commonly quoted as leave no man behind. And I immediately picked up on that. I didn't know that that was like, I don't know what the soldier's creed is. I'm guessing it's like an oath that soldiers take or something. Maybe, you know, I not that I know that much about it, but I know the quote of leave no man behind in like a military right. sense. And I honestly, I love Milo in this entire episode. He's so funny. <laughs> Yes, this is like, I get why people don't like Milo. Like, I get it, but I think he's hilarious. Like, yeah, I I don't know. We'll talk more about it, but I've always liked Milo, even from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, it's episodes like this that reinforce why I like him so much. (laughs) Um, And then our third, I just had to, this has no bearing at all, but I just had to throw it in just for you. Our third and final fun fact is that this is the first episode in which Mako appears without any lines. And it's funny because, like, I actually didn't even notice that Mako was in the episode. Oh, I noticed. I, had to go... I, I noticed he was in the episode. 
I literally had to, I was like, wait, Mako was in this episode? I remember Bolin and Korra talked to them on the radio. Where was Mako? I had to go back and like, look, because I didn't even notice him. My man is just standing there being beautiful and not doing, <laughs> any, not doing anything wrong. <laughs> Like being unproblematic king. Mako <laughs> <Yes. laughs> is an unproblematic king. <laughs> you get a t-shirt with Mako's face. It just says unproblematic king. God, you would get so many people stopping you. Be like, um, have you even seen the show? Do you know who that man is? And I'd be like, not only did I see the show, I made a podcast called Milvin and Micah Discovering exactly. Avatar. It's available on Spotify and anywhere else where you hear your podcast. Exactly. Oh my god, that's so funny. Um, yeah, so that's it for fun facts. Um, not really a lot to say about this episode, honestly. Oh, really? Well, in that case, our next episode is episode... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, moving right, moving right along. Um, no, actually, um, I actually have surprisingly a surprisingly lot to say about it. The episode no. is... So the episode is funny because in, in my mind, as I got about two-thirds of the way through and saw, you know, the entire arc of the episode... <clears throat> I gotta say, it's one of the first episodes in all of Legend of Korra, because we've talked about them making, like, really good use out of their time. They really have to make the most out of, like, a lot of their episodes as far as propelling the main storyline forward because mm -hmm. the seasons are shorter and a lot of things are very dense. They're, they happen very fast. A lot happens in the episodes. This is one of the first episodes of legend of Korra. maybe there was one other one along the way that like this one really truly felt like filler to me like not mm -hmm. bad filler but filler like yeah obviously it's advancing the b story but like they, they didn't have to this trip wasn't necessary like they could have just right. been like everyone arrives at the air temple and it's fine <laughs> it's all fine and it's all fine and not need an entire small one episode conflict arc to like talk about how at first it wasn't fine and then it was fine 20 minutes later like you know right it's very much in line with um and i've been saying this about a lot of the first half of season three it's very much in line with like an early avatar season one episode where it's very episodic you could really like you could cut it and the main story, like you said, the A the A plot wouldn't have been affected at all because Cora and the crew aren't even really a part of this episode. Like they're in it, but they're not a part of it. Like yeah. <laughs> they show up for literally one scene and it's just a radio call. And honestly, you could have cut that as well and it wouldn't have changed anything. Right. Um, and that's it. It's just to remind you that, yeah, we're, we're here too, guys. This is our story. Don't forget about us. But, um, but you know, but on that note, as you said, it does harken back to Avatar The Last Airbender episodes. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, that's actually what's very good about this episode. Number one, mm -hmm. it takes time to deviate from the constantly chugging forward main story that... You know, Avatar had a lot of episodes that were quote-unquote deviations from the main plot. And even episodes mm -hmm. that that even we, who are like the most filler apologists about, about Avatar, come on, we are. 
Yeah. Even we had to admit some of them, they're like, this episode is actual genuine filler. Like, <laughs> the Great Divide. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, no, it doesn't introduce anything that is going to come back later. It doesn't resolve anything that was an issue outstanding. Like, it's just there to create one situation that's resolved in 22 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. But what's, again, what's so good about it is A, it does do that because one of the great things about Korra Season 3 so far for me is avatar is fun again there's right. there we don't have to be constantly focusing on this like deep brooding intense constantly moving forward story we can take a diversion to talk about you know the starting airbenders and how they're having trouble and the hijinks of trying to manage a good training method for them and then bison poachers like as soon as i saw that i was like this ang is honored by this entire right. thing this is our be nice to animals episode mm-hmm. yep absolutely um and, and yeah I, and i don't know because i feel like when approaching legend of Korra, you and i have different feelings on the way that it's the show as a whole is structured because You've, I mean, you've mentioned, especially back in season one, where it was like, literally, there was no filler at all. It was every episode furthered the plot. It was one big movie, basically, right. you know, however long this, the first season is, a couple mm. hours worth. Um, and I I love it. Like, I love that it's so different structurally from Avatar. I love that they treat every season basically like a long movie with one continuous story and that it rarely, like you said, deviates into filler episodes or just other sub stories. Um, so, but you seem to really like that when it does that. Like, See, <laughs> you I, seem to really like the more episodic tone of Avatar. I, I do, I do. And I mean, I think it's a combination of things involved with it. Number one, in the most objective sense, I feel like when you don't break it up, what you wind up with is you wind up with content that's the same tonally. It's just, it's, Mm -hmm. and it's like, you know, when you're, when you're listening to, when you're listening to music, imagine if it was all the same instrument, there was no, no drums, no keyboards. It was just all guitars. Everybody's all playing a guitar. They're all playing in the same key and they're all playing in the same rhythm. And it's the same thing for like 10 minutes. Eventually you're going to be like, can somebody just do something different? Even just for variation's <laughs> sake, just something different. Because we as, get some symbols up in here. <laughs> <laughs> because as as good as the content can be, because it's good, if there's no variation in it, again to use another analogy, it's like the soup is really good, but where's the main course? It's like nothing. It's just soup. It's the same kind of soup over and over and over again. Right. All six courses of your meal is just soup. And it's like, can I get something a little different? I mean, granted, Cora, both seasons one and two, ended the meal with like slamming a pie in our faces both times. But, <laughs> but, but so for variation's sake, it's nice. Um, but I think the other thing too is I feel like, I feel like it carries. This is gonna sound funny, but it carries a funny sort of nostalgia for me. You know, not just nostalgia for Avatar because don't forget I'm watching mm-hmm. Avatar and then pretty much Cora back to back with very little time between the two, and so I. I was expecting it to be the same. Probably like a lot of right. people went into Korra when it first premiered, expecting it to be similar uh, tonally. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also feel like I grew up with a lot of shows that were very just plainly episodic in form. Yeah. A lot of Disney afternoon shows like Darkwing Duck and Goof Troop and DuckTales. They didn't have threads. They were just 
whatever the issue was came up and went away but also a lot of the shows that i grew up with um even like older shows than that were old sitcoms they were isle of lucy or they were 1980s action serials like knight rider or the a-team that again didn't have Mm -hmm. really ongoing plots in them the way a lot of dramas do now they just you know challenge of the week situation of the week bad guy of the week sort of thing and so i think it kind of touches that nostalgia for me to have a little scenario pop up because it's fun and it's light mm-hmm. yeah no i totally get it i'm not i'm not saying you're wrong for liking oh no you know the more episodic but, but that's probably um, why yeah yeah no absolutely because for me this episode in particular for this season sticks out like a sore thumb because to my knowledge, it is like the only filler episode <laughs> like, from <laughs> yes. what I remember. It's been a minute since I've rewatched the whole uh, Legend of Korra season three. But yeah, I'm like, I think that this is like the one episode that I just didn't care for when it first aired because like it just didn't fit with the rest of the ep- or the rest of the season. It just mm-hmm. kind of was there. And I was like, why? <laughs> <laughs> well, but it, again, I, I get it. Yeah. And it, and it is a bit of a, a sort of a hiccup you know along the way where the rest of the season is sort of you know on tempo and all of a sudden we have this like really bright silly like flute solo in the middle of the song here (laughs) yeah it's like okay where did that come from all right well that's over with uh back to the song i guess um Mm -hmm. but again i don't think the episode is bad for that um i think it's really uh interesting incidentally to take what normally has been very like serious very brooding issues especially especially in season two of like tenzin and all of his like childhood trauma being raised by ang and all this angst between him and his siblings and what lessons are we learning from this and how are they healing as a family i'm like can we like get off of the set of dr phil for just like one (laughs) second and remember that this is a cartoon show and we do that in this episode because like the conflict with him and Boomy, he's still being tense and he's doing the same kinds of things that you could mm-hmm. take really seriously, but they're all played for laughs. He's being overly grumpy. He's being overly militant. He's being too hard on them. He's being wishy-washy, you know? Now, <laughs> rewatching this episode today, I... I had like this weird epiphany where I was like, oh my god the fans of legend of Korra might roast me for this, but I think I kind of agree with Korra in season one, when she said that Tenzin isn't a very good teacher. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I don't think that she was just, you know, talking out of her ass. I think that she might actually have been right because any time that Tenzin has been shown trying to, now I'm not saying that I hate Tenzin's character. I love oh, him. Of course JK, not. JK Simmons. Um, yeah, no, he's fantastic as Tenzin, but just as the mentor figure that he's supposed to be, like he's good at giving like emotional advice, some spiritual advice, although he himself is not nearly as spiritual as some other characters. But when it comes to actually teaching, he kind of sucks. <laughs> Which is interesting. It's like, you know, you expect there to be some clashing just of like, you know, personalities or ideals or whatever. But Mm -hmm. like, you think that that would be only like a season one thing when they're getting to know each other and like chorus figuring out airbending. But no, we see it all the way through season two and now into season three. (laughs) He just is not very good at teaching. Like, he just doesn't have the patience or the like, not uh, respect, but um, control 
to like command an entire, you know, just like group of new airbenders or even just one person like with Cora, like, I don't know. I'm just saying well, like, <laughs> no, and you're right. I think it's very consistent with his character. And that's why I say that this episode isn't played on a very serious note. It's played all for laughs, but in a way it makes it kind of easier because there's no drama to cut through to see just mm-hmm. what it's demonstrating about him. You know, Tenzin bearing in mind that Tenzin didn't grow up with anyone else to teach. He was, he was, he was groomed to be a teacher of airbenders purely on principle and by necessity because he's mm-hmm. the only airbender in his family. So he's the only one right. who could, he's not, he wasn't given <laughs> the job wasn't given to him because he was the most suited for it. He was just the only person who applied for the position. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> but also he doesn't have any practice teaching anybody because all he's done is teach himself in his own way which number one is probably why he assumes everyone's going to learn like he did, which is super cerebral, like super introverted. I'm okay with sitting and reading about things for hours and hours and hours Mm -hmm. at a time. And like, he's just not great with people. He's just not very adaptable. (laughs) He, he, again, he assists, he insists everybody learns like him. Yeah, it is uh, pretty consistent all through season one through three that that is the way he is. Um, but uh, I do like that, you know, we have characters like Boomy and Milo that kind of take over the commanding position of, you know, teaching these new airbenders because Tenzin just can't. <laughs> like, you just can't connect with them. Um, but Boomy is allowed to, or not allowed to, but Boomy inspires them to work together to, you know, band band mm. together and be as one like you do in the military, even though they're not a military, obviously. Um, and Milo is able to whip them into shape by using force, <laughs> which is just hilarious. Right. Like a six-year-old kid telling them that one of these is not going to make it out alive. <laughs> I um, love that. And how, like, literally, I can't remember, or I don't know if you remember, but I think it was the first episode of this season um, when all the new airbenders are coming back and Milo and Jinora and, you know, Iki are all talking with Tenzin and M- Milo literally says that he wants to be a commander right. like Uncle Boomy. Right. And I love that they kind of follow through with that, like them working together to get these airbenders into shape. And it's really, really cool and very funny. <laughs> well, well, because what I think was kind of like an, a, a point in the episode that wasn't, we weren't hit over the head with it per se, isn't that Tenzin's a bad teacher and somebody else should do it. It's that he shouldn't do it alone. It requires a team of people. It requires him and Boomy and Milo and Janora and everybody to work together as a group and not that there's a burden falling on him to be a leader. And I think it's a great, you know, it's a great lesson really for anybody in any role, whether it's a family, whether it's a relationship, whether it's your workplace, is don't put so much pressure on yourself. Focus more on the people around you and the relationships you have and the team that you have because you can't be everything. You can't be authoritative. Right. You can't be both the good top good cop and bad cop. You can't be the comfort for people if you're busy being the strict authoritarian. And sometimes it's not a matter of one being better than the other. It's just if you have a group of people they're not all going to learn one way or adapt one way or the way of doing things just has to be varied and they just need multiple leaders and multiple, you know, multiple people who can help them with wherever they're at. And I think that's Mm -hmm. like a valuable lesson to take away from this episode. 
Absolutely. And then on the other hand, we've got the kind of B plot of this of this episode, which is Kai and Janora um in the bison, I guess what would they be like poachers. Hunters, poachers, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um which is just like a horrific idea that I love. Um, yeah. like, <laughs> You're just there. Baby. You, you are you are like that evil old guy in the den in the Beauty and the Beast that like Gaston and LeFou are paying off. And you're like, oh, yeah. that is despicable. I love yeah, it. I mean, <laughs> yes. yes. Yep, I, I do. I love when they add just like super, just like they drop in these super dark ideas like you know, I never even really thought about that watching Avatar and even, you know, into Legend of Korra that people would hunt bison, but it makes total sense. Like right. they're rare animals and they are damn near extinct at this point. So they would be super valuable. Like, so I was just like, oh, that's, that's terrible. I love it. <laughs> but that's a good <laughs> bit of built, a bit of world building. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah. And then on top of that, they added <laughs> this zinger of like how the earth queen, that bitch, she ate Bosco the bear. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my god, yeah. Bosco! <laughs> oh, I was so that was yeah. I feel, I feel like it was <laughs> South. Up. I was in South Park. I was like, you killed Bosco, <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> yep, exactly. That was my reaction. Um, but uh, yeah, so they kai and janora they're on this little cute little flying date together seeing some bison after she's and... mad that her dad won't let her get tattoos because she's like 11. i know i was <laughs> like janora calm down honey <laughs> um but uh yeah so they come across these bison poachers and janora and a couple baby bison which are the cutest things on the planet oh yep. my gosh mm -hmm. um they get captured and locked in these cages and Kai, being a little badass that he is, he has to go save them. <laughs> I love that he just, like, no mercy. Like, he's like Johnny Lawrence versus Daniel LaRusso. Like, no mercy. <laughs> Sweet the leg. Like, it's great. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, Kai is Kai is an interesting character for me because sometimes I'm just like, oh, my God, is this little kid getting us in trouble again? Can he just give it a rest? Like, man, every time you have an idea, it turns out ruining everyone's day. But, like, then... He's so awesome later on because, again, he's got the escape artist skills. He is just ruthless as an airbender. Like, mm -hmm. he's great. In his own way, he's kind of like yeah. Korra. He's filled with bad ideas but incredibly gifted. And <laughs> the only difference is that in the end, he always comes out on top and Korra doesn't. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, no. He knows how to get himself out of trouble. Into trouble and out of trouble. Which is good. Um Are we sure that, that and, are we sure that Kai isn't actually the last airbender? <laughs> is he the avatar? It is really cool though. Like I love this little detail about Kai in this episode and that he's not perfect at airbending, but he's better than the other airbenders. Like yeah. he he picked it up much faster than the others did. And it's really cool to see, like, when they're scaling the mountains, you know, Janora and Tenzin, they get up perfectly, flawlessly. And then Kai's right behind them, and he gets up faster than everyone else, but he still stumbles and falls when he reaches the top. Mm -hmm. Like, he doesn't make a perfect landing. And then everyone else is just, like, climbing on hands and knees, like, trying to get right. to the top. So it's, like, it's a cool bit of, like, visual storytelling to show that, yeah, he hasn't perfected it but he is a talented natural airbender. Like it just kind of works for him and his kind of free go with the flow nature. Right. Um, so I really like that. Um, 
if nobody else has ever made it, somebody has to make a compilation of like the Airbenders training from this episode to the tune of <laughs> the make, ma- no, the Make a Man Out of You song from oh, Mulan, where they're guess, like yes. stepping up, standing, balancing on the things and running the obstacle course <laughs> yes. and climbing the thing. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, no, that was going to be my second guess. <laughs> but uh, I also, this is a little thing, but I love that uh, Milo and Janor and Iki shoot watermelons at them when they're like doing the mm-hmm. obstacle courses. Because it immediately like reminded me of when the gang was doing their practice run on uh, Fire Lord Ozai and they did the Melon Lord. Yep, yep. <laughs> like, that was immediately just what I thought of stupid, but I was like, oh, it's Melon Lord. I know. The, um, o- the only the only other like throwback that would have been equally as good as if they were throwing cabbages. <laughs> no, not the cabbages. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which you just you just messaged me the other day with the news. I guess that this isn't new news, but I didn't see this. That the actual voice actor for the original Cabbage Man in Avatar, the, the animated show is going to be reprising his iconic role in the live-action Avatar show on Netflix. Yes, the return of the goat. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's like, out of all the people to reprise their roles, (laughs) they gave it to the one who deserved it the most. (laughs) But um, the man, the myth, the legend. Have you ever seen have you ever seen the that video? I know I know it's it's usually used of like the guy going and like he's handshaking some people very politely and other people he's like hugging yes. them and slapping their back. And, and yeah, the key and feel sketch. Yeah, that's that thank you. Uh, that's like me meeting all like the stars of the live action series. And then there's the guy doing the cabbage man. I'm doing like the secret handshake and like the hug and like everything. That's right. <laughs> the crowd pumping you up. Yes. <laughs> Us, like yes. jumping together and <laughs> every time i see that video like obviously there's been a million and one versions of like that meme mm-hmm. but the one i always see of course is like all the star wars products because so, it's like, completely you know, got... accurate it's so perfectly <laughs> accurate <laughs> the one that he ignores is book of boba fett every time <laughs> every so, I'm, like time. honestly yes <laughs> yes that is the gospel truth like, all of the prequels get like the nice respected handshakes like the yep. original trilogy always gets like the the high five slapping yep. like on the back yeah and then you, you've got like you know your rogue ones and all that and then you get to book of boba but it's just nothing he just starts fast him and <laughs> wow. then like and then like yep. mandalorian he's like doing the secret handshake dance with him <laughs> yep yeah yep so funny anyway we're completely off topic (laughs) no no we're on topic it's avatar memes and star wars that's all this podcast is for for like 40 45 to 90 minutes every single time thank you everyone (laughs) yep hope you like it um this Um, this episode is just like overall like i said it's good adventure it's avatar being fun again it's be nice to animals it's bad guys of the week you know it's a little lesson but nothing just absolutely soul crushing we don't need to go on oprah to learn this it's just good old-fashioned heartwarming look everybody learned something and now back to our regularly scheduled story everybody and best of all it wasn't like Mm -hmm. it was some weird mad departure they did take a story point that you know, wasn't completely contrived. He does need to teach the airbenders and they decided to make something out of it. And, and everyone grew and I learned something and I'm sure you learned something, Amanda. (laughs) 
the friends we made along the way. <laughs> yes. Although Legend of Korra is more like, maybe the real reward was the enemies we made along the way. Because there's a lot <laughs> more enemies than friends, believe me. Honestly. This show, <laughs> you can't even trust the friends you have, <laughs> Varric. But anyway. <laughs> but exactly. Anywho. Um, this episode is pretty solid. It's not one that I would go back and like rewatch anytime soon. Uh, so I won't quite be, be quite as uh, amazingly generous as the IMDb was. Like, no, <laughs> yeah, that's like very, very, uh, very nice of them. Um, but, yes. but the episodes are solid, probably 7.3. All right. Um, I'm gonna be mean, I'm gonna give it a seven out of 10. <laughs> Wow. Like a full point point one below what the IMDb rating is. Cause like I said, like even though I appreciate what it's trying to do and I appreciate that it kind of goes back to the roots of like Avatar's story like structure, mm-hmm. it just for me, it doesn't work within Legend of Korra's story structure. I really like how, you know, obviously I love the story structure of Avatar for Avatar, but for Legend of Korra, I like the continuous story. I like how tightly paced everything is. Um, and how it's all just one big overarching story every season. Mm-hmm. But uh, for me, yeah, it's it's just going to be a 7 out of 10. Nothing terrible, but certainly the weakest episode in this season, at least. I still think it's hilarious that when we started this, you're like, we're going to be watching Legend of Korra, which is so divisive among Avatar fans. I don't know about how you're going to feel about it, Todd, but I love this show, and I just hope you like it as much <laughs> as I do. And then there's me rating the last, like, 14 out of 16 episodes higher than you. And you're just like, I'm going to be mean. Yeah, I don't know about this episode, Todd. And, I don't, do I like Legend of Korra more than you do? It po- very possibly. We'll have to see once the show ends, like, how you feel overall, like, about just the series as a whole. But uh, I am curious because, like, you know, obviously we're we're right at the midpoint in terms of this season. And then we got the rest of the season and, uh, you know, obviously season four. So we're we're definitely wipe not wipe out. We are wrapping up. That's what I'm to say. <laughs> yes, yes, we are. But, you know, but that brings us to our next episode, which is episode eight, The Terror Within. This is a, I saw this episode title and I went out loud, well, that's awfully dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good, like, it's funny because as I was writing this script and looking at that title, I'm like, that's a really good title. I don't know what exactly it has to do with the episode. Like, okay, I well, I do because <laughs> the whole point is that, okay, well, I do. The, the whole point is that when they close up the city, all mm-hmm. of what's happening is not happening outside with them trying to get in. It's it's, it's in It's the terror within the city that they've trapped the enemy in there with them. Oh, I see. Yeah. I, I was thinking, cause my, autistic brain i was thinking super literally like i was thinking like what is this terror within cora like uh like it's getting a metaphor and it's literally like no the terror within the city is that my soul that calls my name you're are you know, right? okay jenora ease up with the spiritual stuff here we're talking literally inside okay like the terror of my love for aman within my heart oh. still 
Oh no, hey, there's some great fan fiction I'd like to direct you to that might help you with some of that frustration <laughs> right. there, Ms. Millwood. Um, episode 8, The Terror Within, is written by Joshua Hamilton. Um, Love that guy. And I gotta say, he really he has been handling like the season 3 content here just super well. Like His episodes mm-hmm. have been some of my favorites. Again, nothing yeah. against um, you know any of the other writers, but really, Joshua's really been handling this so incredibly good. I love his stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, directed by, again, the other name that kind of is becoming my favorite. Like, I love this duo of <laughs> Hamilton and Heck, you know? <laughs> Hamilton and Heck. <laughs> um, it's like a brewery. Yeah, <laughs> yes. It's like Rogers and Hammerstein exactly yes uh the episode is animated by studio mirror the episode aired july 25th 2014 and the imdb rating of the terror within is a very very impressive 8.8 out of 10 like it's it's almost nine you know this is like mid-season mm-hmm uh, so for our fun facts, he didn't say your transition. Oh no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to leave you hanging there. In fact, <laughs> why don't you take us away with those fun facts, Amanda? Do you feel better? Yes, I do. Um, so for our first fun fact, we got to stay with the script, man. Um, this episode marks the first time that seismic sense is used by an earthbender in footwear, as all previous uses of the, of the technique were barefoot to increase the user's connection to the earth. I didn't even notice that the first time. I had to go back and look because I thought that because last time we saw Lynn use seismic sense, I believe, was in season one. Yeah. And she like removed the plating from under her foot. So she was able to like, you know, sense everything. So I just thought that she had done that. But then I rewatched. I was like, oh, no, she doesn't. All right. I thought it was a little weird. Like I caught it the first time around. I was like, she doing that without taking her shoe off. (laughs) Right. Um, and then our second fun fact is that Lynn's use of the phrase third eye freak mirrors Katara's when she described combustion man, RIP in the runaway. <laughs> Born one out from a three eyed homie. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh man. Um, and just while we're on combustion, man, like we know nothing really about police. Like we learned a little bit about her later in the season, but everyone thought that maybe she was like his daughter or like a relative of his, maybe his sister. And I don't know how that would be possible because it's been like 60 years, but anyway, like there is no, no connection that we know of to combustion man. I think it's just like two anomalies of like freak yeah, I didn't that assume that he things. had. I didn't assume that he was out there making combustion babies, but I mean, I guess they call him Sparky, <laughs> Sparky Boom Man for a reason. Okay, <laughs> okay, I don't need that image in my. Mind. Also, <laughs> the thought of having combustion bending babies is horrifying. <laughs> terrible. Like, oh my god! <laughs> like, imagine like breastfeeding, and suddenly you just get blown out. Like. <laughs> <laughs> about breastfeeding and getting blown up until now those are not two thoughts 
that I put into the same car. These are real fears that women have, Todd. You wouldn't understand. (laughs) There's so many things I still have yet to learn. You're right. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, we are going way off. Anyway. Just when you think you've learned it all. Exactly. Oh, Lord. Anyway, uh, moving (laughs) along. Our third and final fun fact is that Zaheer used sheer shoe spit darts to sedate Korra and Naga. These darts were also the same type that were used by the beetle-headed merchants to subdue Appa in Appa's Lost Days. And I don't know if you remember. I say that all the time. I'm sure you do. Um, but I t- I told you all the way back in, when we were doing Avatar that the sheer shoe is like one of my favorite animals in Avatar. Mm-hmm. I just think it's like such a cool idea. And so the fact that they brought that back, like not obviously the animal, but like the sheer shoe venom is so cool to me. Like, I love that. I love the consistency. Yeah. The fact that they're, that they lean back so much in their own IP here to get references like, Hey, last time we had poison darts that knock people out. What do we use for that? Okay. Let's keep it consistent and not constantly be reinventing the wheel every single time they could it's not like sure Mm -hmm. shoe spit is the only thing you can make toxic darts out of it's just cool for the continuity yeah and it doesn't like it's not pandering or anything like it makes sense that they would have that like Mm -hmm. you know what i mean because like certain things when you hearken back to like either a movie or a show and you're like wow like i all i can think about is solo (laughs) Um, you're like did we really need to do that and the answer is no but this it makes sense so like i'm glad that they did do it um but uh yeah so that is it for our fun facts you said you want me to talk about this episode because i love this well i have to say i was the one who was like yeah i got a couple things i could point out and you're just like there's so much i want to say so you have at it for the moment like you've got a lot to say about this one I do. I love this episode. Um, And the reason I love it is exactly why I don't care for the last one. Because this is such... (laughs) I know, right? This is such a plot-heavy episode. I was shocked. Because for some reason, I had it in my brain that the second half of this episode was in the next episode. But no. This is all... like The first half is a kidnapping attempt... Ancora, very cool, very tense scene. And then the second half is like an investigation on the kidnapping. And like, I'm like, oh my God, this could have been two full episodes, kind of like, you know, The Boiling Rock or The Day of Black Sun. Like, this could have been split into two episodes, but they didn't. They made it all in one 22 minute episode, but it doesn't feel rushed. Everything is perfectly paced. It, oh, I was about to say, are you going to disagree with me? Because I'll fight you. <laughs> no, no, I actually was going to jump on it and not only agree with you, but tell you mm-hmm. that this is what I love so much about this writing and directing combination of Joshua Hamilton and Colin Heck, because these two guys, like, they make some magic when they are combined mm-hmm. together with the pacing and, like, I don't know. I don't know how closely the writers and directors work together on this stuff, but, like, it's just so well done. The way you just said that. I'm so sorry. The way he just said that, I don't know. I don't know how he does it. <laughs> it reminded me so much of the incredible. <laughs> but there's not a tightly paced action episode when they're gone and now they're here. There is coincidence. <laughs> I think not. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> I love that scene. <laughs> 
Yeah, the the episode is great uh, in 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 the way that it packs just so much into an unbelievably short amount of time because again like mm-hmm. you said there's that whole action sequence with the kidnapping attempt but they just get straight into it there's no messing around they get straight into it right at the start with the wind down of the day and you're leaving tomorrow and all this stuff and then the very next thing that happens is we see the red lotus creeping through the city and we watch them mm-hmm. in a very assassination of queen amidala style (laughs) like cut the window open get the poison things Mm -hmm. and get them into the room yeah yeah no it's and i love that because you know i feel like in lesser hands an episode like this would have taken so much time building up to the kidnapping right but it doesn't need it it really doesn't because excuse me part of the fun of it is that the red lotus just kind of come out of nowhere and attack so suddenly and we figure out how that happens later like that's what the investigation part of the episode is for mm. if we see them sneaking into zaofu and like avoiding the guards and maybe even meeting up with you know the person that let them in we miss or not miss but like all that build up is just wasted right. so you know, I think that it's so much better that we just get right to it. Like, like you said, you know, Opal has a going away dinner. It's very cute. She gets sent off to the air temple and, you know, Lynn tells the gang that, you know, they're going to be leaving in the morning. They all go to sleep and boom, the Red Lotus show up. They poison Cora and Naga. And then Bolin wakes up because Pabu wakes him and we start the action scene. And I got to say, when when the music starts revving up, mm-hmm. like when Bolin realizes that Cora has been taken, and like him and Maka wake up and they're, they're you know flee out the bedroom, it is like I was getting chills. I was like, oh my god! Yeah, the music so is exciting. really really good. I was thinking the same thing about how the music was revving up. It's like the doors burst open mm-hmm. and Maka, uh, uh, Bolin and Mako come running out. Yep, and they're like throwing their bending at them and like trying everything to you know obviously get Cora away from them and. They need backup. Our two leading men over there fighting in their underwear. Exactly. Like, it could be better. And then Asami comes out in, like, her full negligee and face makeup. Like, the queen she is. <laughs> like, Asami, yes, queen. Asami's like, I should go help. Oh, wait. I can't have Mako see me without any makeup. She <laughs> does her makeup for, exactly. like... A... <laughs> Just, like, I would love... It's so funny. I would love if we cut between like the super intense action scene to just the Sami like applying mascara in front of her mirror. She's like, like trying. She's like breathing heavy and like like holding her breath. She like tries to get her wings like the same size on both yeah. sides. And then you get back. <laughs> oh my god, that'd be so funny. But uh, this, yeah, Asami then, just you know... makeup bending. <laughs> yes, if she was gonna be a bender, that is the bender she would be. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, and so everybody shows up, you know, the gang, Lin, um, the Beifong family, everybody's there. And they kind of, they trap the Red Lotus. And there's like a super awesome action scene involving all the different kinds of bending. And yeah, I, I don't know what to say. It's, Except it's the super... type of bending that would have actually won the day. Mako with the lightning bending that you seem to have forgotten that you have <laughs> since season one. Yeah. Um, well, okay. So here's the thing. And I actually thought that you were going to say something about this and maybe you will, but as I was watching this awesome fight scene, which is awesome, but I couldn't help but think of your gigantic rant about the drill. 
and how there was like a million other ways that like they could have won the day. And I was thinking about that with this. I was like, okay, like, yeah, it's a good setup. Like they got them trapped on this island of lava basically. And, but you're in a giant metal city and you're surrounded by metal benders, not just the Beifongs, but the guards and everything. And you've got like four other kinds of bending going on. I feel like there should have been more ways to have like won this fight or for the Redlows to have escaped. I don't know. Like, I couldn't think of anything off the top of my head at the moment, but like, you oh, know, I can't. So many. <laughs> oh, okay. Go for it. <laughs> okay. Let's go. With, let's start with like the most obvious thing. You are in a city mm-hmm. filled with metal benders, and the entire mm-hmm. city is made of metal. There is actually logically no reason why the Red Lotus should not have been just skewered by like 50,000 metal bars, bullets, and everything. The entire city is a weapon. Oh yeah, and that, yeah, that's kind of the biggest thing. It's like, these guys should not have made it out alive. Like, they would have been... Like, I get that you're like trying to fight Toph in a cave, right? Like, I understand that they are some of the most skilled benders, but they are not only outmatched, but they also are outbended because, again, they're in a metal city surrounded by metal benders and a lot of them. Like, so there's no way that they would have made it out alive. This the plot just demanded it, obviously. And then there's the fact that they're they're on a block of stone, which Bolin and mm-hmm. Orkora could have lifted up and exposed them all to fire. Like, <laughs> well, again, it's like it's one of those things of like just don't think about it and just enjoy how cool oh, it is for like, sure. And it was it was cool. very cool, but multiple times during yes. it, I was like. And it wasn't like it was a it's hectic situation. They had them locked down enough time for them to radio and like for Lin and Sue to get up to the roof. Mm-hmm. There was lots of time for them to like do stuff. I, I just can't. Right. I'm constantly bamboozled why Mako doesn't whipping out the lightning. The dude was casually <laughs> throwing lightning in season one. Well, let me just say, you'll see his lightning um, oh. in, this, in this season. So <laughs> the way you this... said that sounded abnormally provocative. <laughs> <laughs> you'll see Mako's lightning. Uh, in the words of Azula, I'll show you lightning. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, so it was a very cool fight. Just don't think about it too much. And then speaking of Azula, they pull in Azula and they just like vanish into thin air. Which is BS. Like, do you remember? Yeah. <laughs> do you remember how she did that in the chase? Like they threw all the elements at her and in just like a puff of smoke, she was gone. <laughs> Look, I think it's your honor. Where? <laughs> like, literally. Yes. That was just, she escaped, but how? But how? <laughs> well, I love that Zaheer exactly. too, and he's just like, what do you say? He says something before he creates like giant cyclone. And the best part of mm-hmm. it is, there could have been so many easy ways that they used their powers to get out, but mm-hmm. they didn't. For example, they could have used the lava to melt so hot that it melted a hole in the metal city because metal has a melting right. point, and he could have easily done that. They, as a hero, could have carried them all up in a cyclone that they really were kind of dumb because they left that hatch open the entire time, the one that Sue and Lynn went down, and they should have just been like, right. but where did they go? And all of a sudden it's like a blast of wind, and the guys just all come up <laughs> past them. 
All like, right. there's all kind of ways they could have gotten out, but instead they're just like, but what if they just disappeared? <laughs> just in here. Yeah. <laughs> all those that darn like, red lotus. Wouldn't it be so much easier if they just blew away? <laughs> <laughs> I get it. <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's literally in the first not even 10 minutes of the episode. Like, the fight isn't very long. It's nope. only, like, five minutes. But, um, so... Now we go full-fledged into the investigation part of the episode, which honestly is my favorite part. I love, 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 love the investigation part of the episode. Um, starting with uh, Sue, because she's she's obviously very pissed that somebody, well, not somebody, that the Red Lotus were able to break into her city, which is the safest city in all of the world, according to her. And so she starts, you know, having her her grand vizier or whatever he is. Um, oh, I wow. wait. <laughs> I mean, he basically is the evil grand vizier. Um, but uh, she has him, you know, interrogate people because he's a truth seer, as we established a couple episodes ago. And <laughs> the, uh, of course, and we've we haven't said it yet, but Varric is in this episode, and he's actually in quite a bit. I didn't, I forgot how much he was in this episode. And he is just an absolute delight as per usual, but I love his interrogation. It's so short, but like, he just, he's so unbothered by the whole thing. Like the avatar was almost kidnapped and killed. Like, and he's just over here like, oh yeah, no, for a full hour. I just, I just combed my body for ticks. I did some, you know, yoga. Like, held my breath for 30 minutes. Exactly. It's just like, oh, Varric, I love you so much. Um, yeah, I honestly, I would have loved if he had somehow been involved since he's already been a villain in season two, like, you know, he's, he's a shady dude in general. So like, why not have him be somehow involved, like, in just playing it off because he's able to, cause he's like, you know, that cool and under and in control that he wouldn't be able to tell that he was lying. It's like, it's <laughs> like, like how they can't catch pathological liars on truth on a lie detectors because exactly. their bodies actually don't react to it. Exactly. Like, if anybody was a pathological liar, it would be there. It would be, yes. Oh, yes. It'd be so, that'd be such a cool twist if, like, he wasn't able to detect it, but he was somehow involved. <gasps> truth um, bending. Truth bending. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. I love him so much. Um, and so, yeah, they start, I was going to say integrating, what? Interviewing um, all of the guards and they think that they you know find a guard that is being super shady and shifty and he's only 18 years old so like that immediately like red flags are going off in uh, mako's brain because he's a detective and i love that they continue with that oh mako's and... just the best isn't he amazing <laughs> isn't he amazing i did i've always said i love that they made him a cop and a detective like that is a good path for him because he is a logical down-to-earth cool thinking guy so I do love that he's the one that kind of like, you know, like I said, he's the one that's picking up all these pieces that aren't fitting together. And he's like, how could this guy who's only 18 years old get involved with this crew of bad guys that have been in jail for the past 13 years? How does that work? Um, and so they start to investigate and they go to Iway's house 
because he's the only one in the whole city that is able to keep a secret because he's obviously a true seeker or not seeker seer and and, um, and given the track record of you know team avatar here what would it be i think they're overdue it's been like an episode and a half since their last incident of breaking and entering i know <laughs> yep they they are a bunch of felons they do a lot um, of that in the series <laughs> Fuck the police. <laughs> As Mako's one of the police. I, I, I just had to make an Asami comment, but I will not. Um, but anyway, oh. I, lo- I also love where Bolin, when they get caught, he's just like, what are you doing in my house? And he goes, oh, well, we knocked at your door and we thought you heard, we heard you inside. He's like, oh, come on in. I'm just in the bathroom. <laughs> I don't know why I'm saying that. You know I'm like... <laughs> okay, and I love it with Bullet because he's putting up, like, Paul Rudd energy right th- here in this episode. It's so good. I never put that together, but yes. Like, Bolin is so much like Paul Rudd. Like, that, that golden retriever energy. Like, dumb puppy. <laughs> he's just so dumb, but I love him. Um, but yes, I do love that. And... Yeah, so they get interrogated a bit by Ai Wei inside of his house because they've been snooping around. And it uh, turns out, yeah, he was the one Among Us. What is that game? I've never played that game. Among Us? Where one of, yeah, yes. where there's all the people working together on the ship and one of them, nobody knows who, except the traitor. One of them is the traitor who, like, is out okay. to kill all the yeah, other so ones. It, yes. it is the same. Yes, <laughs> right? yes. Yeah, I got the general gist, but I've never yeah played the game. Anyway. Also, also it's, it tracks that like <laughs> they would really quickly discover like a secret passage because they've dealt with rich, you know, rich bureaucrats who have secret mm-hmm. underground passages with their dark exactly. secrets hidden. Exactly. Yeah, this is all old, old territory that they're treading. Um and then they get blown up, which is fine because Cora air vents and it's all good. <laughs> but like, yeah, like, I was, I actually, I got scared. I did too. Cause like it happens so fast in the way that it's directed. Like you're really like, Oh my God, did they just blow up? <laughs> like, but no, obviously, but it is, it is like, I was shocked the first time that I watched it. Like, cause you just weren't expecting it. Like you figured that they'd find like a path or something, a passageway, but no, there's just a fucking TNT bomb ready for them. I'm just like, oh my god. What yeah. if what if they did? What if an actual mad <laughs> twist they were just like all killed and then immediately cuts and horrifically burned and automatically it cuts to like the legend of core intro except instead of the elements of like earth fire wind and water they're just like greed money innovation lies only Varric can control all four (laughs) elements it's just him standing there like Korra all four nations (laughs) (laughs) That would be the legend of Barrack begins. I would watch the (laughs) shit out of that. Oh my god, make it happen. If anyone deserves a spinoff from Legend of Korra, it is that man. (laughs) Like, (laughs) honest to God. But um, anyway, yeah, so uh, Korra saves them from the explosion and Ai Wei manages to get away. And, you know, they want to go track him down, but Lin you know, refuses. She tells her, you know, no, you need to stay with me and go back to Republic City where I can keep you safe and 
obviously, you know, that doesn't make a lot of sense because if she's not safe in the safest place ever, Zaufu, then she's not going to be safe in a public city. Shit. Which is <laughs> like demonstrate which is demonstratively the most unsafe place in the world between Amman exactly. and the what they call the triple threat and like giant <laughs> yeah. in giant interdimensional monsters. And vines crushing the infrastructure. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's totally a safe place, Lynn. Um why aren't you there now? Um, but uh, yeah, so, but she says no. And then Lynn goes behind, or sorry, uh, Suyun goes behind Lynn's back and, you know, offers the core crew a Jeep to go track down Iway. And the episode ends. And I'm just like, oh my God, Floored, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, here, take my Jeep Wrangler. It's fine. <laughs> Literally, the word having the word jeep in avatar like it it pulled me out a little i was like I, it is basically a jeep but i don't know why that's such a weird like you know i can handle car i can handle automobile like those are those are you know kind of broad words but jeep that's such a specific word it's like it just it don't fit yeah you know and that's the funny thing is i don't think that the word jeep and this might be why it feels weird I don't think the word Jeep is like, I think it's like Kleenex, like mm -hmm. where it's a brand, a real world right. brand that eventually became synonymous with the product, kind of like uh, Xerox was for a long, long time. Not so much anymore. No one says Xerox, um, <laughs> but uh, a, a, or a Walkman. It's never used anymore, but Walkman, mm -hmm. we use it to refer to like a mobile CD player, cassette player with headphones. Right. There was a brand called a Walkman. And then, of course, Kleenex, any kind of facial tissue, right. we just call it Kleenex, even though most of them aren't Kleenex anymore. Yeah, exactly. so it feels weird. Yeah. Jeep. It exists in Cora. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, like I said, I I absolutely love this episode um, because it's just so well-paced. They pack so much into 22 minutes. It, like, never, never feels boring or that it goes too fast or too slow. Like it just, it's perfectly paced. Um, and I can't, I really can't stress that enough because like, I feel like that's something that Legend of Korra struggles with in certain episodes, like the pacing of things either happen too quick or mm -hmm. they like linger on them too long. Right. Um, but this episode, no problem with that whatsoever. Um, and yeah, having Varric just be in the episode, <laughs> Just, you know, <laughs> hanging around. He, talk... he has his airbender yeah, detector at the beginning. <laughs> yes. It's such a stupid joke, but I love it. <laughs> like, he has this airbending detecting device, and the only way that it can detect is if someone airbends into it. <laughs> Which, <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. It's just stupid. <laughs> like, only Varric but... would accidentally invent the breathalyzer and not realize it. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it, it did look exactly like that. Um, oh, God. What was the line that he said right before the whole airbending finding device? Like, there was a really funny line. Um, oh, my gosh. It's something about relationship advice. Oh, he asked Bolin think... if he wants relationship <laughs> advice. And he says, no. And he goes, you're, you're a loss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> like, the way that he says it and then just immediately switches over <laughs> to this. It's like, this man has like a million things on his mind. And I relate to that so much. Yep. <laughs> like we stand an ADD King. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yep. Attention deficit gang rise up. 
Yes. <laughs> and then, of course, the scene of him talking with them out where the battle happened. And, like, he's collecting lava stones. And, like, just to exfoliate his feet. Which, again, it's such a weird thing. But, like, that's actually consistent with season two. I don't know if you remember the episode yep. where he was walking across. Yep. yep. <laughs> it's like, this man needs to see an orthopedic surgeon. <laughs> like... <laughs> Oh my god, you got some feet problems, Eric. It's for fun uh, all that pacing around. I know, right? Coming up with brilliant um, ideas. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, and the fact that he basically just confirms Mako's theory of, like, that there's no way that this guard is the one that let the Red Lotus in. He was like, yeah, if I wanted to frame somebody, I would just, you know, say that they did it and then put the stuff in their apartment and make it look like they did. And Maka's just like, like what you did with me? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that worked amazingly. <laughs> I love it so much. Oh my gosh. We don't yeah. get enough love for that whole like framing Mako storyline from season two. Because it actually was so funny. Like all the comedy that came from that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Javeric being in jail. But um, yeah, so uh, man, I love him. <laughs> love him so much. See, and that's what makes but, this episode uh, so great. It has a bunch of everything. And again... You know, the episode is kind of in its own way, not to not to overrate it, but really it is. It's it's such a masterclass in how to pace things and tie together the parts of your story where they don't lag. There's the, the humor is even integrated into things as part mm-hmm. of the story. Yeah, sure, there's little brief interludes, but it's not so disruptive. There's no tangents. The, the inertia doesn't grind to a halt having a comedic moment. Novarek at the table is just for color, but later on, he's actually part of the discussions. He's part of what moves mm-hmm. the story forward. He is he is the most exasperating person in the interrogation, which makes them get pushed a little further to be like, okay, well, why don't we talk to some, you know, actually important people, you know? Right. In fact, and you know, it's funny because the interrogation, you know brews up this distrust all of a sudden between Lin and Sue, but it doesn't go anywhere. And this is like really subtle mm-hmm. here. It doesn't go anywhere. But Lin is just like, well, why don't we check some people who are further up the food chain? But the story doesn't give away like Iway's involvement because then they right. don't start interrogating people higher up. They're just like, eh, just the you know, or whoever it is. It's just like, let's just bring in the next guard. But it like plants right. that little seed in Mako's mind, and like in you know, the viewer's mind of like maybe it is somebody higher up, you know, and you know it starts getting our wheels turning. And I love that; it's very, very mm-hmm. good writing. The way that it doesn't take the point and like write it on a baseball bat and just whack you in the back of the head, it allows you to kind of figure it out. Right. Yeah. So, um, in terms of this interrogation, because like when I first watched the episode with Rachel, my sister, we were trying to figure out who it was before they actually revealed it. Cause yeah. like, you know, obviously there were several candidates and we didn't think it was any of the guards. We, we did think that it was somebody higher up, either Suyin, Iway, or I was thinking maybe it was one of like her sons or her kids. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it was like Huon, the, the goth. No, <laughs> like, it would be him. One. He is, he is a saint. <laughs> Cause he's all about, because <laughs> he's all about like chaos and anarchy and like down with the system <laughs> like it would have been so funny if that actually was true <laughs> she'd be like how could you <laughs> disowned immediately ultimate dishonor 
Dishonor <laughs> on you. Dishonor on your art. <laughs> yes. And I don't know if you noticed, um, but there was a guard, a specific guard that kept showing up in this episode. Um, it was a female guard with the beauty mark. Mm-hmm. And that guard, very, very, very important. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now you're very intrigued. I am. Yeah, so just any t- yeah, just keep an eye on that guard. You'll you'll notice um, she's actually voiced by Robin Williams' uh, daughter, Zelda Williams. Fun oh, fact. wow. So, yeah. So keep an eye on that guard. Like, First you'll you see had, her a couple times throughout the rest of the season. You have my curiosity. <laughs> now you have my attention. <laughs> you have it. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so overall, what would you rank this episode? Man. You know, the episode, as I said, it has so many great qualities to it. And, like, mm. I mean, I already want to go back and rewatch it, so that's a really good indication. Um, you know what? I'm gonna break nine on this one. I'm gonna give this one a nine point one out of ten. Ooh, very nice. Um, this is one of the ones that I absolutely love from this season. Uh it's one of my favorite, you know, top twenty favorite episodes of Korra. So I'm gonna go nine point five for this one. It's got Ooh, everything. Wow. <laughs> I feel like Bill Hader on SNL. This episode has everything. It's got tension. It's got humor. It's got a kidnapping. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's got Varric. It does have Varric, <laughs> like, yes. And Mako talks in this one. <laughs> I know, right? He talks a lot in this one. He gets he does. detective mode on. But uh, yeah, so I absolutely love this episode. Really, any episode in Zaufu, I'm going to love. Because I just, for some reason, when we're there, I just, I adore the place. I love the people. I love the world building. So any episode that takes place in Zaufu, I'm going to love. It's just, it's inevitable. Well, plus on top of it, one additional thing to throw in on the episode is that, you know, we've had Sue, Su Yin, as... Uh, a brand new character just over the last four episodes mm-hmm. she's a very solid character like her being I there know. is sort of a grounding presence in there and i think it's because the way she's written isn't she's not waffling at all she's a very authori- authoritative figure but there's no bluster about it there's this sort of like mm-hmm. yeah, she speaks in absolutes the way she's written she's not like oh don't worry we'll do everything we can she's like we're gonna find them we will do this. They won't do that. Like, you know, and that's what gives so much gravity to the betrayal um, with Iway because she, all of a sudden, that confidence that she even just kind of smiles and nods half the time at Lynn fuming at her or just throwing rocks at her face. Like, mm-hmm. she just meets it so coolly. And so to see her actually kind of put on her heel, again, you know, it's like that character who's never mad suddenly getting angry. You know, it, it adds to the gravity and again masterful writing very very good oh yeah absolutely and that's why she's one of my favorite characters loved her from the get-go and she never wavered in that character like she's just the best um but uh yeah so all around incredible episode love it and best of all it leaves us on this sort of like wonder where they're going next sort of cliffhanger very similar to when they speedboat away with Varric uh in season two mm-hmm. where it's sort of a yep. okay now what now where are we going now what's gonna happen where do we even go next and it's not even like teased exactly you know 
why do you think I gave you this Jeep? (laughs) 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 Why do you think I built this boat? Yeah. To speed um, away from your crazy (laughs) ex-girlfriend. Exactly. Um, Yeah. And there's, and I really like, because from this point onward, the season deviates from what the first half has been. I think that this is where season three really gets its footing is in this episode, Mm -hmm. because from the from here on out this is the main storyline of like mm-hmm. tracking down the red lotus figuring out what they're plotting yeah. and all that like this is the main story now and it used to be you know in the first half of the season just finding new airbenders like right. that was that was the focus but now we have cut off from or not cut off but you know we split off from that mm-hmm. and honestly i think that was a really smart move you know having this big kidnapping in the middle of the season because that way it naturally breaks off into this new story um, right. without, you know, feeling forced or anything. Um, but yeah, uh, <laughs> I feel like we, we keep going on. It's great. Uh, love it. Can't wait to see what's happening next. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, again, it, it really does uh, open the door for what's going to happen next. And with the change in pacing, we're going to be in for some exciting times. That's for sure. That's all for today. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so feel free to leave a review or comment, follow the podcast, give us a good rating, and all that good stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Millwood and Micah, and please follow our Instagram at Millwood and Micah Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll be back in the next episode.